0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'd like to file a complaint with somebody. That was too much basketball at the same time last night. I couldn't keep track of all of it. The Cougars winning, the Utes losing, and the Jazz 10-game win streak gets snapped. That was a game I spent far and away the most time on. But during commercial breaks, I was checking the other games out. But they got out of hand. Arizona was up big, almost doubled the Utes in the first half. They had a huge lead. Uh, BYU, it took about five minutes to get going, and they traded punches for another 10. And last five minutes of the half, they started to blow that game wide open. BYU wins 93-70. to The Utes lose 93-77. Neither game was close. You could really focus on the Pelicans game, which is the one most of you are interested in and was a very interesting game. Pelicans are, number one, they're playing well. They won 8 of 11. Now it's 9 of 12. They were still fried because they lost to the Jazz. They thought they got robbed at the end of the last game ten days ago in New Orleans. So the Jazz go back in there, and I thought they had to play at a pretty high level to stay with the Pelicans there. And the Jazz had chances to put it away. That they got a foul call with two tenths of a second left. It was amazing. <laughs> it was just, it was amazing. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the whistle gets swallowed. Was it a foul? Absolutely. But fouls like that get ignored all the time. But Gobert went to the line. He only made one of two. He forced overtime. If he makes them both, the Jazz win the game. And, you know, it's not all on Rudy. Joe Ingles missed a free throw. We love Joe, but Joe missed a free throw. And he missed it uh, either one or two possessions before that, certainly in the final minute of the game. He missed it right there at the end. So that was a big miss. And and there was other stuff. Donovan Mitchell, after the game, talked about a foul he committed. Uh, what blew me away with Donovan, and he had an awesome game. He went for 46 points. He was on fire in the second half. But at the end of the third quarter... They're up six, and he's got a chance, he's got the ball a chance to put on Bader nine, bad turnover, and they get the dunk going the other way, and so now it's a four point game instead of six or eight or nine, you know that that's a big swing, in what turns out to be an overtime game, but. Hey, they won a bunch of close ones, they were due to lose a close one, they made a few mistakes, and Brandon Ingram was awesome. I know you don't want to watch him go off against the Jazz team, but we've got to keep watching him, because when he gets gets rolling, what a show. He went for 49, and he and Donovan were trading hoops late in the game. You know, if either team could have gotten a couple stops, he could have opened it up because their star was going, but neither team could, could get the stops. The New Orleans finally wins in overtime, and Rudy fouls out, and the Jazz challenge it, and Craziness, wackiness, entertainment. Hey, the Jazz won a bunch of those close games. One got away. It's not surprising. They had six in a row on the road and 10 in a row overall and 15 out of 16. So now it's 15 out of 17. And they take the loss. We'll get to the best of the postgame show coming up a little later. Right now, though, Craig Jack joined us late in yesterday's show to talk jazz basketball, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, and we'll let you listen to that conversation right now. Here's Bowler. Bowler, good morning. Hello, guys.
1: Yeah. How are you? Well, we're doing well. I'm doing well. I, I expect some kind of tension because we have the sports cast of the year and the runner up in sports cast of the year. One's got to win, one's got to lose, and now you got to come, uh, you know, kind of face to face over the radio, so to speak.
0: I don't yeah, expect yeah. any tension unless someone welches on a certain bet that involves me getting free food. No, no, no welch. That will occur
2: as soon as uh, the schedule allows, allows it, a little barbecue yes. feast, my friend. Okay, but I can be you patient.
0: For the words. I have patience. I know yeah, Scotty I know G is flying all around the western United States for Mountain West games, and you are flying all around the United States for jazz games, but I'm just sitting here waiting to eat barbecue, so let me know. <laughs> I just hope
1: one day I can be nominated. Obviously, I don't have the skill or talent to win, but I would hope one day I could at least be in the running. That's all I ask.
0: DJ, you and I will have to talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: here's the thing. I don't know who, seriously, and this is true. I don't know who controls the votes, how you get nominated, and who votes no, and wins. I don't either. Russia. I, Once, I never have. Russia. No, Russia's have. one possibility. Once upon a time, <laughs> I was told by someone who worked at the D News that the D News held seventy or eighty percent of the votes. Oh wow! Now of I don't know. bias
1: for me. I worked at the that's, watchdog. That's their enemy.
0: more than a. I'm sure it was more than a decade ago, and it could be longer than that. I don't know how long ago that was, but it was. It, it had to have been 15 years.
2: Yeah, I, I. That's a great question. I don't have an answer to it. Um, I don't know really who all has votes. Do you all have one? Like a. Uh, yes, I, don't. I do. But you can't. You can't vote for yourself, so it doesn't so really matter. So let's get
0: right down to it. Did you vote for me or did you vote for Scotty? Because we were the three finalists. Tell the well, truth, Bowler. D- he didn't have to I vote for d- either of you. No, you I, I left it empty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see how you are. I would have voted for uh, me. I'm ordering a couple extra sides at this thing. I'm telling you that. Right yeah, now. as if that yeah, was coleslaw. Yeah, that's probably cold true. Slaw. No, PK made a strong point. Actually, I gotta <laughs> I gotta tip my cap to him there. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd voted for me, I would have ordered the sides anyway. Who are we kidding? I'll take the potato salad and the coleslaw.
2: Yeah, and we'll have to find a day that all the the moon
0: aligns. And well, and, you know. after the Jazz sweep the NBA Finals, obviously, I mean they're not losing. There you yet. go. Yeah, let's
1: make I'd quick they're, work they're of it they're at that point.
0: Extremely well. I, <laughs> get it's an amazing
2: run of ten.
1: Hey, we're talking and
2: fifteen to sixteen.
1: We're talking about, you know, this midway point of the season is here. Who is MVP of the team? And to me, I think it's unquestionably Rudy Gobert.
2: You know, uh, maybe a month ago, I would probably not agree. But the way that he's played in uh, the last 20, uh, it's been so impressive uh, on both ends of the floor, PK. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys that need a piece of that uh, MVP trophy. But I think, too, that... You know, Donovan has been solid, expected. Bogdanovich is fitted in this team much better than I think all of us thought. Uh, and his athleticism is a, maybe a surprise. I, he's more multidimensional uh, than I maybe even I thought when I saw him play in Indiana. And then you've got names starting to pop up. Clarkson has fit like a glove in 10 games. How about that? Come into a team and he hasn't tasted defeat. Uh, from Cleveland. I mean, he's 10-0 with the Utah Jazz, and Moutier's growth is impressive as well. So, um, you know, and Joe's another great story. I mean, we can just keep going on and on from a a bench, from that sixth-man role back to a starter. Uh, Because of Conley's injury, uh, they make some decisions to go back to Joe. And this whole team, man, is just so intriguing. But the centerpiece, I think you're spot on. Uh, And, again, I don't know if if he'll garner all-star votes um but maybe the coaches in this league will understand his importance. I think on this road trip every head coach we we've run into uh has been basically in awe of what Rudy uh contributes and how he uh you know, basically blows up a lot of coaches' offenses and how they're in a scramble mode. I thought we saw that in Brooklyn uh just a couple of nights ago. So uh yeah, incredible talent. Uh, Maybe starting to get a little bit more offensive-minded as well and maybe trying to improve his shot selection He's showing a little bit more of a a deeper skill set, too.
0: So we've had a couple people say, hey, there's a different hero every night on offense, and I think that's because... Every team decides who they're going to leave open, but that person is capable of making them pay. So if you just run the offense, and Joe always talks about don't you know, decide what you're going to do, don't try to score a bunch of points, just make the mm-hmm. right basketball play. On any given night, Rudy might be open for the lob, but they might be bringing a third guy into the lane, so there's no layup and there's no lob. So then it's which perimeter shooter is open and has a big night. It feels like they've got it figured out, but it feels like also there's always another adjustment coming. But I don't have any idea how someone's going to adjust to this when Rudy's going to make every dunk and there's four guys who shoot over 40% from three. It seems like there's nothing left for a defense well, to do, but hope and they know, miss. Matt
2: and, yeah, Matt and I talked about that in Big T and <clears throat> You know, we, we got into discussion, and there, I think this is one of the most dangerous teams right now And they, and you know, again, weapons uh, are a plenty. The Clarkson acquisition, Moutier's growth, George Niang getting more minutes. You know, those are other guys that have three-point ability, and George has proven that. And then there's Royce O'Neal that plays really uh, one of the better, just young defenders in this league. Doesn't get a lot of accolades, you know, for scoring because they don't need him to. He's he's a defensive specialist, but. Uh, can fire in a three-point shot as well. So yeah, to your point, DJ, uh, I think it's a scramble mode for most defenses. And when the Jazz are on, and they are right now uh, with the perimeter shot, then it's an unstoppable offense. And then they also give you effort on the defensive end. Uh, it's it's a dangerous uh, combination. Um, and I think again the passing, the assists are up, the turnovers are down, uh, and that's another another indication. You know, and I know it's overused, but <clears throat> Connection, comfort, communication—use whatever word you know you want to describe it. <clears throat> but I think those couple of numbers there kind of indicate the Jazz are finally understanding how to play this game, uh, you know, together uh, with this this team constituted. Uh, and I think those those la- those numbers, uh, especially the turnovers, they were they were getting ridiculous at one point earlier this season. You know, multiple turnovers on multiple possessions, and now it seems like they're just taking care of the ball, and they know where to stick, and know where to pass, and and they're hitting shots too, which makes a big difference.
1: So when you speak of this togetherness on offense, which is obvious, you know, any time you compliment Joe, he wants to punch you in the face. He just won't have it. It's all he about won't have it. nah, it's all about the team and whatnot. Although I'm getting sick of him with the all shucks attitude when he's playing at this <laughs> level because he's a bona fide NBA. I wouldn't put him left the level of a superstar, but you know, you can go the next level because he's Absolutely. right there. So how much of this cohesiveness Uh, can be attributed to Joe's improved play. And we asked him about this when he was on the show, but he was quick to make sure that it's not at the expense of Conley. It's more about Joe playing better.
2: Yeah. You know, he won't talk about that. And he is, uh, I know it's the all shucks, and he kind of gets a little you know snippy with the media. And that's good, man. That's Joe. I mean, that's, that's the way he likes it. And that's the way, I think, you know, again, motivates himself. Look, he makes the first three in Brooklyn the other night, and he, he kind of glances over at the Nets, and you know gets teed up uh, shortly after. You know he likes to play with that chip on his shoulder, you know, and, and uh, but he is a bad team. And I PK at 32. Very few players that I can even think of ever ever improve or take their game up a notch, and that's where Joe Ingles is right now. Usually you have peaked at that point in time of your career. And maybe you're just playing kind of solid ball until 35 hits and most guys are out of the league. But, uh, yeah, it's an amazing story uh, that Joe Ingles continues uh, to improve. And he looked like he was um, – I don't think he would admit it either. Uh, just not in, in, in the moment. It wasn't his style to be a sixth guy. I think he's a starter. These guys give him opportunities to be a playmaker – And he likes that as well. He loves to maybe get that ball into Gobert with the pick and roll and pick. Look at his assists. I mean, he's nearly five a game. And that's crazy. I mean, you know, for a guy, uh, you know, of all the things that he does. But, man, he just gets it, PK. Uh, He's just a smart player. And I'm with you. Not at the superstar level, but, man, I'd say there's nights that I would put him as an all-star. There's no doubt. He's multifaceted. I, I love watching him play.
0: See, I think his improved play, and I think that the drop in turnovers goes back to the change on the bench. I think that guys on the other team were able to gamble defensively because the Jazz had a couple non-shooters on the floor that you could leave. They were able to double because of that, and now you can't. And there's a guy wide open, and he can make a shot. And I think that's been the biggest change and it's enabled Joe to play better because Joe couldn't score because there were three guys in the paint and they weren't leaving him but he couldn't get assists because he was throwing the ball to guys who couldn't make shots Now Joe's not going to come on and say yeah my teammates really sucked so I'll say it they cut a guy, they traded a guy, they benched a guy. I mean, the bench is totally different. And it's not totally. on any one of those guys, but the accumulative impact of putting three more scores on the floor changes everything.
2: You know, I remember, too, in, those, uh, in the earlier games of the season, to your point, uh, DJ, is that Ingalls would be crowded on the perimeter and doubled on most nights, which would, again, eliminate his shooting. He was forced to take late shot clock threes mm-hmm in a bailout situation. So to your point, spot on, uh, because he was the target of that second unit and didn't allow him to really have some open space to do his work. Uh, And you're right with the changes in Clarkson's ability to move and to slash, uh, along with Moutier's uh, great improvement. Uh, you know, the bench has become a dangerous weapon for the Jazz, and they also blend those two, especially with the five, uh, the five starters. So, you know, out comes Bogdanovich or out comes Joe and in comes Jordan or A Donovan gets his rest. So you never really lose much in uh, the second unit when they're on with George and Yang and Tony Bradley. I mean, the blending's pretty impressive, you have to admit. And those nine uh, and sometimes ten with uh, Tucker, John Tucker, uh, they they just have speed, strength, and a lot of shooters, as you mentioned, and that equals a 10-game winning streak.
1: They've certainly been aware of that. The teams that they've been beating outside of the Clippers have mostly, if not all, been under five hundred. and obviously that changes over time, and it's going to change here very, very soon. Uh, before the All-Star break, I think they have... Uh, eight opponents that are going to be above 500 including teams that they haven't seen that they're right in the hunt obviously the nuggets you throw in the rockets there so how much do you think and I don't know that they don't necessarily talk about it but that they they actually are relishing the opportunity because if they storm into the all-star break then it's like yeah we got your teams over under 500 that we've beaten but how about these other guys too and so they really make a statement in terms of legitimacy
2: yeah, no, that's that's the next step in this whole evolution of this team. PK is a schedule. Earlier in the season, uh, you know, it was uh, kind of a heavy dose of Memphis, uh, you know, and, and you saw Oklahoma City a couple of times and the Clippers. Uh, but now I think the real interesting test is about to come. But think about the confidence that they are building and they've worked out some of these issues. They've made the, the tweak on the bench. In fact, not a tweak. They made some major, big decisions. By the way, to to trade, uh, you know, Dante Exum and let Jeff Green go. Those are big decisions and gambles. But they didn't have any choice, in my opinion, because they had to make something happen uh, to give the Jazz kind of a new life, uh, a, a new look, a new identity. And now the, the the schedule comes into play here, as you're right, before the All-Star break. In fact, next week uh, when the Jazz get back, you start to finally see uh, the Jazz play Denver, right? You see them play the Houston Rockets, have yet to play them this season. And so uh, it's, it's going to be a test for the Jazz. And finally, the critics out there will say, yeah, this soft schedule, you should be winning. Well, okay. They're also dominating right now. So now the test is: Can you beat the elite teams? Allegedly, the elite teams with the Jazz are now building to be one. Those are going to be great head-to-head uh, matchups, and I think those will answer those games will answer some questions that everybody's uh, kind of been pondering for the last, uh, you know, three to four weeks.
0: By the time we visit with you next week, the Indiana Pacers game will be in the background and uh, have already been played. I'm curious because I always say this, and then PK always mocks me. Pros don't think like that. Do you think the Jazz, because they've lost, and I don't really care your opinion on this, but I know that you know the guys better than we do, and I'm really curious what you think they would tell you. Do you think they've circled this one a little bit and they're bitter because the Pacers have beaten them three times in a row over two years by some pretty big margins? Or do you think it's just another game, Indiana's pretty good, here we go?
2: Now You guys know athletes. They will tell you, look, one game at a time. But in reality, that's the motivator. Uh, they understand it. They know. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you you and I, all three of us, we've, we've sat and talked to professional athletes and even college athletes uh, who usually don't like to show their hand. But down deep, that's what it's about. I mean, it's about rivalry. It's about let's go. This is, you know, we're not going to have this. Yeah. Yeah, Bogdanovich, let's be honest. That means something to him. I mean, it has to. Uh, he goes back, and it's you know it's a high five, and some of a lot of those teammates were gone too. A lot of these teams, if, you know, here's the other thing too. I've realized in the West, especially when the the injuries came to Durant, and now Curry and Clay, and Durant's off to Brooklyn. Um, you know, the whole West decided to make their move. So you know these the times where you go back and kind a of high five old teammates. This particular year, there's not a lot of guys that that were playing with them a year ago. And so sometimes you lose a little bit of that, you know, of that "hello, i am back type of feel. The crowd remembers you, but the teammates are all totally, they're all gone and dispersed to other teams. Uh, and so, you know, that impact doesn't have as much. But still, I still think it plays into, into their hands. That Look, yeah, we know we've been beaten and beaten badly. You're coming to see us. Uh, so it's it's time to, to show you what we are about. And I, I think it plays into it, absolutely. They won't tell you that, but it, it's in their head for sure.
0: Bowler, as always we appreciate it and we'll appreciate it more when you get back in town and you buy me barbecue. Congratulations on the sportscaster of pal. the year. You got it. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you guys. There's Craig Bowlerjack with PK and I. We're going to take a break. When we come back for all you jazz fans, we'll get you caught up on the end of the game. The best of the jazz post-game shows. Stay with us.
3: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go! Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get beat. I haven't had to say that in a while, but there it is. Despite a 42-point third quarter with Donovan Mitchell going off, the Jazz lose to New Orleans, 138-132, in overtime. Crazy game. The Jazz got bailed out by a foul. Rudy Gobert getting held. Two tenths of a second left. They were down by a point. They needed a miracle, and they got it. And New Orleans was none too happy about that, especially given the way the game ended when the Jazz played there. Ten days ago, and the whistle was swallowed at the end of the game when New Orleans thought they were fouled and then Ingram should have been going to the line for some big free throws. But nonetheless, in overtime, a lot of whistles went the Pelicans' way, and Rudy fouled out, and the Jazz challenged it, and Jazz fans were all over Twitter all sorts of hot about that. But, hey, that was was a tough game to referee because those teams were amped up for this one. It's crazy how some regular season games get a lot more juice than others. But this one had it, maybe, probably, because of the way they played 10 days ago. The fact that I think the league is aware the Jazz are really pretty good. And so New Orleans is a young team. You get a chance at home to prove yourself against one of the better teams. Uh, They can look at the standings. They see where the Jazz are. And New Orleans is on a roll. They won 8 of 11. They wanted to go after them. And, man, Ingram. Ingram and Donovan Mitchell what a duel 46 for Mitchell 49 for Ingram that was fun to watch that was a heck of a show if either team could have mixed in some stops down the stretch they could have won that game pretty comfortably instead it was a it was uh it was a tight finish boy there was a lot of stress all right let's get to the best of the post game show on 975 at 12:80 the zone
4: Welcome back, DJ and PK, 975-1280 the zone and the Zone Sports Network. Tony Parks with you, with you here with you with your Utah Jazz recap as the Utah Jazz had their 10-game win streak come to an end as they fall to the New Orleans Pelicans, 138 to 132. Donovan Mitchell with an unbelievable night, 46 points, uh, although his team came up short. Ingram on the other side when New Orleans had 49. Boyan Bogdanovich ended up with 26, and it was 15 off the bench. For Jordan Clarkson, but outside of Clarkson, the Jazz bench was just 2 of 13 from the field. The Jazz trailed for so much of the night, rallied back uh, to uh, battle hard there in that third quarter and then into the fourth, had a lead, found themselves down a digit after an Ingram jumper. Then with 0.2 seconds to go, the Utah Jazz had to inbound with no timeouts after using consecutive timeouts, threw it up to the rim, and on the play, Rudy Gobert was grabbed, pulled, fouled, hit one of two free throws, sent the game to overtime, and overtime he got his controversial sixth foul to go with it. It was reviewed after a challenge by Quinn Snyder and the call was confirmed. The Jazz fall by 6 in this one and after the
5: game Quinn Snyder spoke to the media. Competitive game, both teams played extremely hard um, I thought they were really a little more physical with us in the first half but we responded to that and you know these games come down to you know, a few plays and we made a few and there was a few we didn't make and you know we tip our hats to New Orleans they did an excellent job and they made a few more than we did but uh, like I said I think we competed and uh, we'll look at you know look at the tape and I'm sure some th- see some things we, you know, we want to do differently we do better uh, we've just got to keep playing well. Sure that,
6: point, point sure that, 0.2 seconds on the clock. You know, you look at, you look at that play to send you into overtime. Mm-hmm. Was, was that by design? That was incredible.
5: Well, there was a lot of execution things tonight. And, um, you know, our guys have been terrific in the clutch. And, you know, tonight we've been getting some stops. It um, has to go with it. And, and, unfortunately, we weren't able to get some key stops and some couple key defensive rebounds
7: sure that a lot of the
4: emotion, energy in the building. You expected this game to be a tough out tonight, considering yeah. how the last one
5: ended. Yeah, I think we were we were fully prepared for that. You know, mentally, this is you know we played them on the third game of a road trip last time, and it was again. And uh, as I said, I you know I think we're doing some good things. And you know, there's there's games where you know you don't make enough plays to win, and we've been making them on both ends. And tonight, there was just a, a couple that a shot here and there, one we missed, one they made, a rebound here and there, um, but we competed. What
6: did you see on
4: that, um, that play that you uh, challenged?
5: Well, I thought the the previous play, I thought Rudy had been fouled at the rim. I thought they grabbed his arm. Um, but, you know, there was a play like that last time we played him, and in this instance, you know, it was a, it was a crucial, crucial play, so that was where, you know, that's why you have a challenge and it didn't work out, but as I said, it's, you know, it's never like one play. It's, it's At the end, it's a collection of plays. That's Coach
4: Quinn Snyder after the Utah Jazz fall to the New Orleans Pelicans, 138-132. to 132. What did Rudy Gobert uh, think about the controversial sixth foul? Here's what he had to say about that.
6: Well, man, kind of deja vu again all, all over here in NOLA. What do you think about the fight between both teams tonight?
7: I think it was a great game. I mean, both teams played hard. Both teams uh, try to get a win. It came came down to the last few plays.
6: Yeah, what did you think that allowed? What did you see that allowed them to come back in this one down the stretch?
7: I mean, they were they made some plays. They made some mistakes. Uh, they got on the line a lot, you know. And uh, I mean, I think we we didn't play our best game, but I still thought we should have we should have got the win at the end.
6: How about what are your thoughts on that foul that six? It
7: was not a foul. I mean. I'm just going to be straight up, it's fine though, everyone makes mistakes, but I don't understand if they can review it and see that it's not a foul, why they they kept, you know, they didn't overturn it because we challenged it, Um, but beside that, I mean, uh, I mean, Hingram got a great game, they 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 played a great game, so it was just probably a fun game to watch.
6: You kind of expected this too this morning. You said you expected him to come out with a push considering what happened last time.
7: Yeah, definitely. And it's a team that's right now they're playing. You know, I think they're playing better than what the, the record says. You know, they, they, they had a few injuries. They still have injuries, but they, they never they're never a team that you're going to beat easily. And, you know, they showed it tonight.
6: With .2 on the clock, I want to go back into that play that sent you guys into overtime because that was really rare. I mean, that, that hardly happens.
7: I mean, I'm trying to get up to get the ball and someone grabbed me. So if she wouldn't grab me, there wouldn't be a foul, you know, and uh, that's that's what happened, you know. I know
4: it's just one of 82, but you could tell that you guys are pretty emotional about losing this one. Is it because of the streak or maybe the way that oh, it happened?
7: You know, we don't care about the streak? It's we, we just hate to lose, you know, we, we compare us. Uh, you know, we we want to come out there and win every night. When you lose, and when you lose like that, you know, you, that kind of game when, you know, you, it's one rebound, one call, one, call, one shot, you know, you, you have a lot of regrets. And uh, it's part of the game, you know, we just got to get ready for the next one and put this one behind us.
4: Rudy with some interesting comments about not caring as much about the win streak as he did winning the day and that's what the jazz tried to do but fell short in this one Donovan Mitchell had some interesting comments after this one 46 points on the game really made some big time clutch plays time and time again was 16 of 34 from the field did miss his final six shots but here's what he had to say at the end of this week. obviously upset when he first came back into the locker room what exactly was it that was at the forefront of your mind right after the payment
8: you know, first off, I've got to give credit to them they they executed and played a hell of a game, but you know I think that game was a winnable game for us and um, that was really what uh they're really that they, uh, in front of my head just you know um, that was a winnable game and um, it's tough to lose one but yeah
6: Donovan what makes this one uh, so tough?
8: Um, like I said because we definitely feel like we could win that one you know I definitely feel like we could come up in the end but we've been in so many games like that we've executed so many times down the stretch and give credit to them they, they executed as well Brandon Ingram played a hell of a game and um, we'll bounce back
4: How tough was it after Rudy went out?
8: Uh, it was definitely tough. You know, I think uh, the biggest thing for us was just, you know, the the little things, you know, the shots maybe didn't fall, but, you know, my foul, eight one more, little things that you can control. Um, you know, I think, you know, you weren't expecting much, you know, after after the uh, fourth quarter, you know, from, from the refs. So we just understood it was going to be a physical game and we weren't going to get much, but we, we played through it. And sometimes, you know, shots come in, sometimes they don't. What did you see on the play
4: where the, that
7: Quinn challenged
8: um, I didn't think he fouled them, but the ref said he got him in the legs. And, you know, at the end of the day, we got the same. We got a call. We came here. We didn't get this one. You know, it's just a matter of what they want to call. And uh, they made that call. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it, but, you know, it is what it is.
6: How crazy is it that just 10 days ago you guys were here and it ends – like it did and now today.
8: Yeah, you could tell by the way they played. They kind of had a, They had a familiarity with our plays, with what we do. You know, they, they did a good job. You know, but we also executed when we needed to and found ways to get going down the stretch. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't pull it out.
4: So there you have it, the Utah Jazz fall to the New Orleans Pelicans, 28-13 now on the year, 13-10 and 10 on the road. The Jazz will return home for the home game tomorrow night against the Sacramento Kings. As always, the best place for Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone at The Zone Sports Network.
0: There is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk a little football, BYU football coach Kalani Sitake joining PK and I. That's next.
3: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in BYU football coach Kalani Satake. Kalani, good morning. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Good. So I'm curious here right off the bat, before we look forward, I want to look back a little bit because if these three games had gone different, then the tone of this conversation and every conversation in the whole offseason would be different. You had the three games on the road this year where you had the lead late and you could have won it. But you didn 't win any of them, and that's the difference between seven and six and ten and three, which is an enormous difference. Have you gone back and watched film of those games, thought about those games, talked to the staff about those games? What do you have to fix to win those games because they change everything
9: yeah i mean I think that's the uh the natural thing is that after a season to evaluate the entire um, the entire year of two thousand and nineteen and and my job is to try to figure out a way that we, we can have a lot of consistency as a team, and uh, we lack that. And that's my number one responsibility this off season. And you know, going into this off season is going to be different. I, I don't, I don't believe in just um, staying status quo and 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 uh, and and hoping for for better things to happen. I believe you got to get to work and. Um, you know, this off season we're doing things different than we did uh, the, the previous four. You know, so I think um, just looking forward to our guys playing. I think it helps out having um, some return uh, experience, uh, returning players, and having guys that are. Uh, I think it helps having the two guys come back and and not enter the league. But more than anything, is it's, uh, finding a way to develop our leadership and and getting our team to uh, execute at a higher level. And that's that's uh, been goal number one is for us to find ways to have more success in 2020.
1: So it's such an unusual year, as you know more than anybody, and you got three quarterbacks there who at times played well, and then how do you approach that going into the start of spring tra- or spring ball as far as who the starter is and is it an open competition?
9: Well, every position you have to battle for, and 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 I think now that we're um, in the offseason, the spring ball is when you usually see guys Step up and start to evolve into, uh, and and possibly meet meet their potential, um, you know, in every position. So, of course, quarterbacks not going to be any different. Obviously, guys that have some experience and, and have been through it a little bit have have uh, uh, probably have the upper hand. But I, I believe in playing the best guys. I I don't know any other way to do it, you know. So if if there's a that if there's a guy that deserves a play and no matter the position. And I think quarterback is, is the impor- most important position on the team. And so, uh, as we look at it, you know, we have returning old linemen. I mean, I think pretty much the whole two deep re- returns and, and, uh, we have some, uh, really good, uh, targets for a quarterback to throw to. And I think there's not really any excuse for, for the best guy to show. And, uh, whenever we feel the most comfortable and whenever that guy gets the, uh, gets the job is, is, is that's what's going to happen and, and i believe in all in all these three of these guys and you know we're going to always add more quarterbacks i believe in recruiting quarterbacks and then and, and uh we should never ever be without one
0: so there's uh and you've as a head coach assistant coach and, and back to your days as a player you've probably seen it handled multiple ways a competition can be open it can be really wide open you could give each of the guys one third of the snaps in spring ball or you know you've invested a lot in zach he's got 16 starts you give him half of them and the other guys a quarter of them how do you handle that so these guys each feel like they had a real shot to win the job well i
9: think that there's just plenty of snaps to go around there's plenty of reps for guys to compete with and then Uh, and and a quarterback is the same thing It does you don't have to I don't think it's anything that you have to map out um, you know the entire time and say okay by this date uh, we need to have have it figured out I think as you start to let it just organically happen let the competition occur and and uh, you see their their leadership on and off the field and, and you start to see the camaraderie and the connection the chemistry work as a team and you know where where we want to get to is where we feel like all those guys could be able to start at any time and uh, and at that moment you just need to play the best one so I think you can um, you can organize it and you can have it all happen, but I think uh, there 's enough reps to go around the guys will compete and um, you know we see how they develop as a uh, as a leader and then see the the, the meet, meet their human potential and I think once we get there. Uh, we'll be in a better spot but the goal is to get more than just one starter and obviously we we felt good about the guys going into the season and you know we had to uh, dip into our depth chart a little bit and um had some success doing that but uh for, for as a team as a whole we we need to find more consistency and find ways to um you know perform at a higher level and that comes down to execution and discipline and and a lot of different things it's not like one main factor uh is the biggest deal there's there's a piece of uh of uh, improvement that needs to happen in so many different levels, and and we're approaching that right now, and I feel really good about where the team's at right now with our off-season conditioning program.
1: Do you anticipate all three of them being healthy and able to participate in spring? Because obviously Wilson couldn't do a thing last year with his injury.
9: Yeah, yeah, I believe all all three of them will be playing, and, and obviously Jaron will be playing some baseball as well. But you know that never really got into the um, got became a problem for us last year, and so. Uh, you know as long as we get when we get the spring ball he'll be hundred uh, percent participant in spring ball and we have some guys that are going to become um, you know performing for the track and field team so uh, we'll, we'll, we've been able to handle that and, and balance that out so I think it's going to be really fun and looking forward to seeing these guys compete on the field it's going to be I think uh, spring football is going to have a, a huge it's it's important every year but I think the uh, seeing the momentum that was created a little bit from the off season and and the health of our, of our team. I mean, even Bader was a little banged up um, during the bowl prep. And so seeing our guys uh, get to 100% and, and being able to battle it out, that's the best way to do it.
0: You know, on your receiving core here, your top six guys, you had a tight end and a running back, and they're both back. You had four receivers, but three of them were seniors with uh, Simon Chumway and Hifo all done now. You got Gunnar Romney. Do you feel like number 1 he's ready to make a major step forward and be the guy as the lead receiver and who else can join him? Who else do you have your eyes on?
9: Well, I think Matt Bushman's a good having him there is is going to be really good for our team. I, I think the tight end position is really important. You look at um, you know the emergence of, of uh, Isaac Rex and others in that position group. We, Bentley Hanshaw returned from his mission, so I think we're really set at tight end. The receiver spot we really need Gunner to, to take over, and and we've talked about it with with him. And, and you know it's, we, you're right. We've had three seniors that that are, have have, uh, have meant, had a huge impact on the team leadership as well. So uh, Gunner is in the position now to to really uh, take over a lot of reps and a lot of catches and have an uh, opportunity to make big plays. And we we brought him here to because he has big playability you know where you can throw him a hitch and he can turn it into a big play big touchdown and if you watch all the bowl games especially the championship games you can see how how uh, much of a difference uh, a, a receiver can can um, change the the whole dynamic of a game by being able to just take a, a whether it's a fly sweep or a hitch or a, or a, a tunnel screen and turn it into a big play and turn it into a big touchdown play and that's, that's gunnar romney that's why that's why he's here so uh, we've got to do our best to get him in a position to make the big plays, and guys like him and Dax Mill, and then seeing others come along like Keanu Hill. That position group, we feel like there's a lot of good talent there, and, and uh, Gunner, Gunners Gunner's going to have to be the lead of them.
1: As far as your coaching staff, do you anticipate all of them returning, and then also any st- any assignment changes within the coaching staff?
9: Yeah, you know, we've had um, we've had a lot of uh, I guess there's been a lot of interest as in a lot of our guys, and, and we've had guys that. have decided this is where they want to be, and that's always going to happen. With with the mid-year uh, signing date, uh, the jobs and, and everything has kind of um, gone later into – to january and even into february with a lot of um with a lot of the coaching hires and so i want our guys to to perform well and i want them to have opportunities we have a lot of guys that i believe if you're going to be a coach you should want to be you know at the top of the game and then that's someday becoming a, a head coach and having those opportunities and and uh, sometimes you have to make some decisions to get there so i want to really help our our coaches find ways to to get opportunities and then take advantage of all their opportunities and and i'm going to be one that's, that's going to be really you know um, pushing for them to try to get their dreams and and um i believe uh for the most part our guys are, are pretty much set and and looking at the the titles and the responsibilities we we've already made some uh, adjustments in our responsibilities and things that we're going to get done but uh i don't think it's uh really anything to go out there and advertise right now I think we're gonna, we have some things that, that are that we've done within the program that's going to help our our team uh, function well on offense defense and special teams.
0: How much of your recruiting is all set and how much your recruiting still has to be done with a February date?
9: I think for most of the part we 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 have we have a few guys that that are that still trying to recruit and obviously I can't name those guys but right. you know uh, um going into the recruiting date we knew that um the date the signing date would allow us to uh just keep the guys that have been committed for us for a long long time to just get, get the recruiting over with and and uh you know it's it's weird that that extra time uh when when the whole recruiting process happens a lot of different things could happen with offers from other schools and guys uh courting your guys, basically, and I think I think we've done a good job. I like the, the character in our players. I like the the potential, and, and uh, you know, we, we have guys that can come in and, and uh, that we've signed that can come in and play right away, and that's that's important for us, you know. You're looking at the amount of uh, underclassmen that we've had, gained valuable experience throughout the season uh, last year. I think that's going to play pay off a huge dividends of being, uh, allowing us to have guys that have game-ready um, experience. And, you know, the, the, some of the freshmen and sophomores that play this last year is going to be really important when they make this transition going to the 2020 for them to not be um, you know ca- kind of caught in the the, the the spotlight of it all and then now being able to just uh, have some uh, f- you know familiar feelings with traveling with being on uh, you know in, in the hotel the night before games and, and being able to balance their school and academic the academics and the and the rigors of the football schedule so I think it's going to work out really well for us and then really looking forward to, to this leadership and everyone taking over and I'm just excited for our fans and, and I, I love the fact that we have Kyrus and Matt Bushman returning that's going to really help us out going into 2020 and looking forward to the stuff that we've already done so far in January seeing the way these guys have approached the off season, uh, there's a huge sense of urgency from them and from the staff and I, th- I think it should be a, a fun year.
1: Do you anticipate adding grad transfers?
9: That's always the. Um, I, I guess when you talk about recruiting you're always open for everything right so um, it, it's one of those things with a transfer portal where uh, one day it could change if a kid enters a portal and fits our our, our academics here and then fits also the, the, the student lifestyle. So I think that's always, um, it's always a possibility. And then we have to be able to plan ahead and, and keep a, a, a few spots open just in case. So, yeah, that's always going to be in the mix. And that's way different than it's been in years past with the transfer portal, but I think it's good for college football.
0: So, if you don't have a running back come your way like you did in the transfer portal a year ago, where you brought in two guys, are you set at running back with who you've got? Yeah, I
9: feel good about it. I mean, you know, if we can keep keep our guys healthy, I mean, we have, we've we've seen a lot of guys play that running back position, and but I feel like uh, Lopini Cato is in a good spot now, and 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 just had a lot of valuable game time experience, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I think he's gonna. Being in a really good spot, you saw Tyler Algier, who moved from from running back to, to linebacker and back to running back, has uh, have a huge impact in games, and and uh, his style of run is is, is dynamic. And then you know, Jackson McChesney's coming back from, uh, he's still got his mission legs uh, that he's working out, but he's got tons of speed and potential. So we feel like there's a lot of guys there. We'll get Sione a now back and to get him healthy. And, and uh, we feel like we, we've seen some guys that that are on our team that, have, uh, that are, are young and then up and coming. And so, uh, you know, you never plan on using that many running backs in the season, but um, I'm glad that we have a, a good system and our guys are able to step up and make big plays. And that also helps having a, an old line that has tons of experience and be able to get out there and, and open up some holes for them
0: last thing before you let you go are you going to make any changes to the defense next year
9: yeah i think we have to um change things up and, and, and uh find a way to, to create more havoc and, and find a way to to make it more of an impact in the game and, and i believe in, in our players and i uh, want to highlight all their um all their talents and and when we get the best 11 on the field uh, using a scheme and using a, a tactics and strategy that will allow us to, um, you know, function at a high level. And, and I, I like defenses that create havoc and, and create turnovers and make a huge impact in the game where guys are talking about the players. I think we have a big, uh, you know, big uh, uh, bunch of guys that play with tons of experience. At, at so many different positions, and we're going to, you know, bring back Chris Wilcox and and uh, Zane Anderson will have an impact in the defensive backfield. And, but we feel like we have a lot of good players there that can help us out, and and uh, we have to uh, put them in a position to have have tons of success. And and that means change. Change is never uh, is never easy, but it's always a good thing.
0: Kalani, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. There's BYU football coach Kalani Sataki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. The Cougars, the Utes, the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Warriors. How about that game? We'll get to all that coming up. Stay with us.